you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want us to do a real quick series overview and, and a, a quick historical background. But we are on part three of a four-part series of messages that we've entitled, The Gospel According to Jonah. Our goal is to examine the scriptures through a gospel-centric lens. Now, the scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign, something that would prove that Jesus' words uh, were true. And in response, Jesus makes a comparison of himself with Jonah. We find this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 through uh, 40, two verses. And it says, but he, that's Jesus, answered and said to them, that's the scribes and Pharisees, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Now Jesus did a, a tremendous uh, a blessing when he tells us uh, this passage in, in, for two verses. Jesus affirmed at least three things in these two verses. The first of all, Jesus identified Jonah as a real historical person. He affirms that this is the prophet Jonah, the one that we see in 2 Kings chapter 14, the one that's identified as a prophet, that this is uh, a truly a historical person. The second thing Jesus does is he affirms that Nineveh is a real historical city, a real historical city in which the people repented at the preaching of Jonah. So he has identified that Jonah is a real historical person. Nineveh is a real historical city. And the third thing Jesus affirms is that the narrative of the book of Jonah was a real historical event a real historical event in which Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Now, that is Jesus' own words in these two verses affirming all of those things. So it's important for us to not think of Jonah as just a fishing story or, or an allegory or a parable. Jesus identified real historical person, real historical city, real historical event that took place. Now, before we jump in, what else do we know about the city Nineveh? Nineveh is a leading city in Assyria. The city was founded by Noah's great-grandson, that's Nimrod. We find that in Genesis chapter 10. And Nineveh is described as a great city. Uh, it's described as a great city about four different times in the book of Jonah. And the city has a as a, is really a large a city. Uh, when we think of it being described as a great city, uh, the, the circumference, if you will, of the city is 60 miles. You can think of it this way. It's roughly the same size as the bypass around Charlotte, I-485. If you were to go to Huntersville and get on the bypass and drive all the way around past the airport, go all the way down to Pineville, come back up around Matthews, come back all the way back around uh, to Huntersville, it'll take you a little bit over an hour to do that. Uh, it's about 60, a little over 60 miles. That's the same size that we're talking about when we talk about the size of Nineveh, a massive city. 
Now, Jonah was being sent there for a specific purpose. God wanted him to go there to address their moral decay. We keep in mind that uh, God has already has prophets that are addressing the moral decay of Israel, but now he's sending him to these people, these Assyrians, these people in Nineveh, because they are dealing with, with, with sin themselves. So in this massive city called Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, it has grown corrupt with great sin. The Assyrians were really known for their violence. Uh, they showed no mercy for their enemies. They would impale live victims, behead their enemies. They left skulls by the city gates as a warning to others. They even skinned people alive. This was a wicked, wicked place. Now, they showed no respect even to women and children, and they followed a policy of killing babies and young children of their conquered enemies uh, so that they wouldn't, just, they wouldn't have to take care of them. So Jonah was reluctant because these were the enemies of his people. Jonah was like, so what if you destroy them, God? These are wicked and evil people, and Jonah didn't want them uh, to live. Jonah wanted to see their demise, so he not only was wanting to you know, resign as prophet and say, no way, you got, God, you find someone else to do this. He was okay with the city of Nineveh uh, uh, being destroyed. And that's part of his reluctance in wanting to go there. Now, one more thing. Let's remind ourselves about Jonah before we pick up in Jonah chapter three. And we need to think about this in light of the gospel. In chapter one, we see the first two themes of the gospel. The four themes of the gospel are creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. The first two themes of the gospel appear in chapter one, creation and the fall. Chapter one establishes that God is the creator of all things. That's including the sea and the land. Even the wind obeys his voice. Now, that's interesting because we're going to see that Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. But for right now, we want to focus in on this idea that in chapter one, God is established as the creator of all things, even the one who can conjure up this storm just at his word, that the storm happens, that the wind can destroy the ship, so the wind obeys him. Chapter 1 also established the theme of the fall. We see the rebellious heart of Jonah. He is quitting. He no longer wants to be a prophet. He's running away from God's call and God's command. Now, by chapter two, we see the third theme of the gospel, and that is redemption. Jonah cries out to God in his affliction, and God is going to respond. But what did we notice about Jonah? And I mentioned this last week. I want us to look at it again. We see a downward spiral of Jonah's rebellion. And we see it in this word down. Uh, anytime you see, we talk about this in our hermeneutics class, anytime you see, begin to see words repeated or some type of repetition that takes place, it's worth noting because there's probably some significance to it. We see a repetition of the word down. We see it beginning with he went down to Jonah or to Joppa. Jonah went down to Joppa. Uh, this is the first this is the very beginning of this digression. He is rebelling against God and he goes down to Joppa. 
Next it says he went down into the lowest parts of the ship. So again, we're seeing this digression, this spiraling downward. And then next we see that he went down to the moorings of the mountains. So we see this, this spiraling downward that's happening in the rebellion of Jonah, that he is not just going in the opposite direction of Nineveh. We talked about Jonah running in the opposite direction, going toward Tarshish. But I want you to notice this. He's not just going the opposite direction. He's going the opposite direction. And things are also at the same time spiraling downward. How low does it get? Well, it gets so low that it's described in, in chapter 2, verse 6, that he goes down to the moorings of the mountains. Now, the moorings is a nautical term in which we, uh, it's the place where uh, the mariners would throw out the anchor uh, for the ship. It's, it's a really low point uh, in the water where they, they're throwing out the anchor so that the ship would be, uh, would be anchored. And Jonah didn't just go down to the moorings of the ship where you would see the anchor, a place where the ship is anchored. No, he went so far down that he found himself in the place where the mountains are anchored. That's a pretty low place. In the, in the depths of the water. He's saying he is so deep in this sea. He is so low that he is at the moorings of the mountains. He is at the place where the mountains themselves are tethered to the earth underneath the water. That's an incredibly low point. And it's at this low point that Jonah cries out to God in his affliction. So let's pick up in Jonah chapter 3 beginning of verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. <laughs> 